Hello and welcome to the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. I am your host, Adam Caster. Here is always my co-host, Ed Birdsaw. Mr. Birdsaw, how are you doing? Good morning, Adam. I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. Good. It's wonderful. How was your weekend? It was great. Pete Alonzo is a, is a wonderful human being. God, you met Spencer Celebrant like he won the World Series. Listen, hey, did you see Pete Alonzo vibing up there? It's amazing. Yeah, what a, kid tore, a kid tore his ACL and there's Pete Alonzo just vibing. That's disgraceful. Abhorrent. Disgusting. It didn't happen on the same day. Oh. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It goes to show you, you, you Mets fans are just completely uninformed. Well, who knows if he actually, did he actually, did that kid? It's the word on the street. Oh, that's, that's unfortunate. It's the word on the street. And there's Pete Alonzo jiving and vibing to his own soundtrack. Mm. Whatever. Monster. Monster of a human being. My client, Pete Alonzo, is being framed in a bad light, in a poor light. He is guilty as charged. No, unbelievable. He is absolutely guilty as charged. But I, I, I digress. You, you Mets fans are celebrating like you just won the World Series. And Pete Alonzo went back-to-back for the uh, home run derby. Well, it's very impressive. Oh, the way he did it was very impressive, but I'm not going to hold my candle on it and say at the, at the end of the day, oh, Oh, my New York Yankee won a, won a home run derby. Oh, great. All right. Well, it's, it's T-ball for them. I don't know. Did you see Shohei Otani's early swings? Didn't It's not as easy. It's I loved it. Easy. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I was rooting for Juan Soto the entire time. I, I, I just I, I can't stand this Shohei Otani new face of baseball crap. I, I I can't. I can't do it. He's great. He's a generational player. It's What's one season. Stuff? It's one season. One and a half seasons. He was hurt. He was hurt the entire year last year. I know. And he has one year. He's got one. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> I think the guy, I think the guy out in LA or San Diego has a better shout than. Otani does, and oh. and it helps that Tatis is on an actual good team. The Angels suck. That How can you be the face of baseball and be on a terrible team? I'm not going to go the route that some other commentators have said. I'm not going to even touch that. Please don't. I'm not going to. Believe me, I have brain cells. But how are you going to be the face of baseball when you are on a losing team? Uh, well, he should probably go go over to the IL and ask his teammate. Well, even when even when Trout was there, Trout was the face of baseball because he's great at absolutely everything. But the team still sucked, so that was a little blow to him. I mean, Connor no one, David's the best player in hockey, and yeah, but Edmonton goes to the playoffs at least. What they do in said playoffs is another thing. The Angels don't go to the playoffs. That's true. They are allergic to the playoffs. They are allergic to the playoffs, like I am allergic to pollen. It, it it's the same thing. They get a they get a send to the playoffs. A chew, a chew, a chew. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, I mean, I I get I see where you're coming from, but I th- I think that Otani's amazing. He's I very mean, good. What He's he, very good, what he does is, is is great. I mean, if he does if he does what he does this year, if he does it again next year, he's definitely the face of baseball. He's very good, but I just don't know how you could be the face of baseball on a team that's 45 and 44 and nine games out of first place. I mean, one of the faces of baseball anyway, next to like DeGrom and Tatis Jr. See, I see. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even call like, I think, I think of the face of baseball. I see someone, I see someone that's had prolonged success and has done it for a long time and has the individual plus the team accolades to say to back up their resume. So DeGrom has half of that. How many players, how many players actually have that though? None, none. That's the point, but his team has been terrible, but DeGrom individually, I mean, DeGrom's a hall of famer. Yes. DeGrom is a hall of famer. I'm not saying that he isn't. I'm not, I'm not even going to try and and challenge that. He's a hall of famer. He's the best pitcher in baseball by a hundred million miles. And he doesn't cheat. Well, every pitcher uses sticky substance. Adam, come on, don't be, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. 
if Jacob deGrom used, used spider tack, he would throw 30 no-hitters. Every single start would be a no-hitter. The face of baseball was going to be Bryce Harper. That's who, that's who it should have been. And if Harper had won that World Series with Washington instead of jettisoning it to, uh, to Philly, then we're talking about Bryce Harper being the face of baseball, but he's not. Is there one player in the league that actually fits both criteria? Individual plus team success? Yes. Mookie Betts? Okay. Yes. Mookie Betts is, is, is incredible. Um, and we, got, we also talk about a spotless, uh, spotless, you know, record too. So, so, you know, it's very easy, very easy that I could just, you know, that anybody could rip off and say, oh, Altuve, oh, oh Bregman, but Carrasco, I mean, uh, Correa. Yeah, the, their, their resumes are a bit skewed, aren't they? Um, I mean, Mookie Betts is, is the guy for me. Okay. Because he plays, he's got all the things working in his favor. He's unbelievable. He's won. He's in a huge market. What about Bellinger? No, because Bellinger, Bellinger is, is, is he sucks. He's been hurt all year. He's batting one eighty six or whatever the hell it is. Mookie Betts is he, it's Mookie he's, Betts. He's the best player on that team. Yeah. What did I say? What? What do you mean? What are you? You oh, said, Mookie, you Betts. said it's Mookie Betts. Like you're, like you're trying to like I said something wrong. Yeah, no, it is. No, I'm saying oh, it's Mookie Betts. He's the best. Okay, I'm he's just making sure. Yeah, I at least I think so, but. You know, Trout will have will have that argument because he's Mike Trout and he's the best five tool player perhaps anybody's ever seen. Otani again, do it again. Do it again and maybe maybe. But we've seen we've seen Japanese players break into the bigs before, have huge seasons and fall off. Yeah, well, Marvish. Only Dice one. Matsuzaka. Where, where, where's Dice K? Actually, he just didn't he just retire? Uh, did he? I don't know. He's in. I think he went back to Japan after a while. The well, biggest. The, go ahead. Go ahead. The only the only player that's done it consistently is Ichiro. I was just about to say the biggest international star that the, the game has had has been Ichiro. Is Otani that? No, no. Can Otani be better than that? Absolutely. Yeah, he can. But he's not. He's not there yet. Well, international is a bit of a, I mean, international, because if you say international, you have to also count all the Latin American players. I am. Really? I am. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> Ichiro Suzuki is the biggest international star that, that baseball has ever had. Ooh. Yeah, he is. In terms of breaking in when he did, in terms of captivating not only his own fan base, but then you have the Japanese fan base as well, who is baseball fucking crazy. Ichiro. Otani can be that, and then some. But I'm not ready to just crown him, you know, king shit after one year. And who says he doesn't get hurt? Not going to go, you know, go all Mystic Mac or anything like that, but possible well he already had Tom John surgery once mm-hmm. plus Wait, anything anything that spoils Rob Manfred's plan to have his one guy I'm all for because fuck him you know I was watching you know before we go into into this I was watching the MLB draft and if I had squints in my eyes I thought I was watching the NFL draft <laughs> The broadcast, like, it's like copying my homework. Just don't make it look like you copied my homework. Like, the broadcast was almost exactly the same. Pretty much. Even down to the booze. Every commissioner commissioner gets booed. It was was the same thing. I've never heard Adam Silver get booed. Uh, Very rarely. Very rarely. Adam Adam Silver, likable guy. He's the, the best commissioner. Not exactly a lofty title, but he's the best commissioner in sports. I mean, look at his look at his competition. Yeah, you have concussions, cheating scandals, 
and Gary Batman. <laughs> Gary Batman. That's it. That's all you need. Just Gary Batman. Um, by the way, I would like to also um, offer my sincere congratulations to my home country of Italia for winning the Euro. It was a fantastic, fantastic achievement. Roberto Mancini, what a guy. Absolute, absolute king. Wow. Um, com- commiserations, however, to uh, to England name Bukayo Saka. That was an absolute fucking disgrace that Bukayo Saka was the guy that had to step up and be like, I'll take the fifth penalty. That is a fucking disgrace. Jack Grealish, Raheem Sterling, Luke Shaw, Calvin Phillips, name the rest. You should all be fucking ashamed of yourselves that you let a 19-year-old step up and take that penalty before you even raised your hand. I agree. Absolute disgrace. And I, Adam, when I was watching that, I said to myself, knowing my luck, it's going to come down to Pukai Osaka for the fifth penalty, isn't it? And lo and behold, my fucking luck. Yeah. I mean, I'm listen, I, I'm just happy that, you know, it's like none of the Man United players made their penalties future or present. Hey, Luke Shaw's goal was, that was a banging goal. Hell of a cross, too, from Trippier. Yeah. But I I think it was ridiculous. I was like, where the fuck is Raheem Sterling? Where the fuck is Jack? Uh, yeah. I mean, Jack, Re- Jack Relish has a bit of an excuse because like of that, because of that tackle on it where he. What? In, in extra time. Where it was on the- his left thigh. He's a right footer. Next. Still hurt. There's no excuse. I love Jack. I, I love Jack Grealish. He has no excuse. And anybody who was saying that was a red card by Jorginho, I would be the first person to say if it was a red or not because fuck Chelsea. That is never a red card, ever. I mean, what not is he supposed to Also, what is he supposed to do in that situation? There are a lot of fouls when you're in, when you're look at it in slow motion. It's like, what are you supposed to do in that situation? Nothing, Jorginho. second. Both of them are going for the ball. Grealish gets to the ball first, and it just so happened his thigh was in the way. It's not a red. I, I would even argue it's not a yellow. Slow mo has ruined our sense, our like our reasoning for a lot of things. I would thoroughly argue that was not a yellow card. Thoroughly. And and again, fuck Chelsea, fuck everything about them. I would argue that was not a yellow card for Jorginho. I I would. It's funny because when uh what's this, Taylor Twelman? Yeah. When Love he was Taylor like- Twelman, great guy. He's great, but like he was like, well, you know, he went suds up there. I'm like, what is he supposed to slide on the floor like, like in risky business? Exactly. Like, what you- <laughs> exactly. Why go down? Why go down? If you if you could stay up, you stay up. Yeah. Jack Rose put himself in the way. He was an unfortunate. No, he was saying Jorginho went in with. He's like he went in with his studs. I'm like, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> I know. Jack Rose slid in. He was an unfortunate casualty. Jorginho's uh, studs up and. That's that. I honestly, I did not think there was any incident from that. And I was watching with someone who thought it was a red. I'm like, what? That's not a red. Never in a million years is that a red. Although if Jack Grealish uh, went to take that penalty, the entire population of Ireland would probably vomit at the same time. That's true. <laughs> that is very true. If Jack yeah. Grealish what, took, had the winning spot kick for England at the Euros, the entire population of Ireland would probably riot or collectively throw up. Yeah. Or collectively or both. Hey, all I know, all I know is that my, my rooting interest was with Italy, but I said, please God, don't make Saka be a casualty for this. And lo and behold, I was just, I was rooting for Roberto Mancini, Kyle Walker, who had the game of his life. Yeah. Kyle Walker is very good. Uh, Raheem Sterling and future Man City targets Raheem Sterling. I mean, uh, Harry Kane and Jack Grealish. Probably Harry, Grealish. Uh, Harry Kane was nowhere. Typical. Typical. Pouncey was good, though. You can take the man out of Tottenham, but you can't take Tottenham out of the man. Harry Kane. <laughs> maybe, maybe Kyle Walker has been, uh, has been trained to get rid of the Tottenham. Yeah. I, I heard it's more infectious than COVID-19. The Tottenham virus. Anyway, so after that long uh, spiel, we could talk about what we're here to talk about. And yeah. that is advice for starting 
up your own fantasy leagues Mm -hmm. and that we're focusing on redraft leagues because you know we're kind of in a bubble where a lot of the hardcore fantasy players are in your your dynasties your keeper leagues but most of the time fantasy leagues are redraft where you know the the leagues that you're playing with your coworkers or with with family family of course some friends casual friends most of the time redraft you're playing in a redraft league so that's what we're going to be focusing on uh bird and jake already did a a dynasty show we did a while forgot about it but we did (laughs) without me surprised i i remember that you did it i wasn't even on the show yeah we did do that that was a thing so you can listen to that for all your dynasty information but this is focusing on redraft leagues correct and there's no one better to talk to about this than someone who's a commissioner of like 50,000 different fantasy football leagues. 50,001, actually. 50,001. 50,001, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very so, much. I'll put him on my resume. Yeah. Project manager. That's me. Ed Birdsell. That is me. So my first question for you yeah. is what's the first thing that a new commissioner well, actually, no. My first question is, your first season being a commissioner, mm-hmm. what was that like? What were your – who kind of guided you? What was your resource? What were your resources? What did you use to try and find out how to really do this? Honestly, I was listening to podcasts like this, believe it or not. I know I know, it's like a, a cop-out, crux sort of answer. But, yeah, I mean, that really was how I was able to kind of – you know, navigate, at least starting, starting. But then as you go on to the season, it's kind of different. You know, you kind of go with the flow. But really to start, it was listening to podcasts, listening to other people as well, just kind of point me in the right direction in terms of exactly what I wanted out of a league in terms of what perhaps my playing colleagues would want out of a league as well. And crafting the league and, and playing with settings and things like that to make it worthwhile for for everybody. Um, you know, one of the first things that, and I think this is the question that maybe Adam is going to ask now, is how do you know when enough teams are enough? I would say if you're a new fantasy player, you probably want to start like eight to ten teams. I think that's kind of the best way to do it. Um, I would even recommend and, and say, and I know this is like a really, really boring answer a really boring, really shitty, really like just awful answer that nobody wants to hear. But the best way to get into fantasy, if you're going to do it early on, is to just sign into a random league. Sign into a random league and you go from there. That's the way that I would do it personally. Obviously, it's not as fun because you you, you want – you know, to be playing alongside people that you know, so you can shit talk and, and, and everything like that. But in, in terms of just getting into it and, you know, not really having to do much for your own sake, joining your own, it's joining like a random league is probably the best way to do it. But then if you're going to be on a commissioner thing and you want to start your own league, then just about going out and asking your friends, seeing what they want to do and, and, you know, all that, which we'll get into, I'm sure. Yes. Well, that was, that's like one of the other questions, like, you know, trying to get all this stuff organized. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of administrative work that goes into it. Oh yes. Oh yes. It's like a second job. It it is like a second job that does not pay at all. Well, in that case, it's kind of like you have like five jobs. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And you know, when you start getting into more longer term leagues, like keeper and and dynasty, being a dynasty commissioner is just, is, is the, bane of existence how the fuck do you do that it's awful it is absolutely awful because you need to be just constantly on the ball 24 7 year round whereas with keeper you know you don't really have to be like you you definitely can be um but it's not as it's not as time consuming and then when you get to redraft you know that's easy you know you 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 have your September through January when you're really into it. And then after January, you're done. You could check 
during the off season a couple times, you know, check settings two or three times, uh, talk with your league about what you want to do. And then if you need to just go in and make a huge settings overhaul, you can do that. But keeper and dynasty is where it gets more, more complicated, but uh, redraft is, is very, very easy to be a commissioner of, but during the season, it is definitely a painstaking process because you need to be looking out for just everything and anything that could potentially perhaps compromise the integrity of the league, which is never, ever a fun thing to, uh, to try and go and manage, especially when you see it right there in front of you. It's just a matter of having to call people out, which is never fun. No, I can imagine. It's kind of like being like a school principal. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is being like a school principal in charge of telling kindergartners to stop picking their noses. Wow, that sounds awful. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's not fun. I don't I don't ever recommend people to be commissioner. I, I tell them I tell them that all the time. I say, look, you want to be commissioner, fine, but you need to be able to handle it because you're gonna be you 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 are going to be the person that is just put right there, right in the middle of the fucking bullseye when shit goes wrong. Understood. Or if there's something yeah. that's shot down, you're, you're never going to have, and this is what I tell people also, you're never going to have everyone 100% happy with you over the course of a fantasy season. You are always going to be uh, that asshole to one person in your league throughout the entire year that that person may change from Sorry in week to week bird thanks Adam. appreciate it <laughs> there there's always going to be one person that's going to be you know mad at you for something now what that something is you know i i, I don't know but there's always going to be one person mad at you and you know if you can handle it you can take them on the chin fine but it's when you just have collectively people coming at you it gets overwhelming and you ask yourself, you know, why do I do this? It happens all the time. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, now in a family league, it's very different family league. It's just like, everyone's there to have fun. You know, you're kicking back, you're relaxing, you know, no big deal. Yeah. I mean, from some of the stuff that I've experienced in our league and like some of the stuff that, I probably don't even know about. It. I can only imagine how stressful it is to be a commissioner. When every when everybody is serious, and like, actually, it's probably even more stressful when everybody is serious, and then there's like one or two people that are not serious. No, that's actually a lot easier. Believe it or not, it, it, it is a lot easier because you're able to enact common sense regulations that nobody can disagree with. Because for the sake of competitive purposes, and at the end of the year, you boot those people, and that's that. It's when everyone is competitive, when everyone is looking to get the upper edge and everybody else, and they're going to do whatever it takes to do it, move heaven and earth to do it. That's when it's the most difficult. Um, yeah. So my thing or my question, if I, or just my theory, my thought, if I was ever commissioner of a league, and I think that I'm pretty sure that you do this with your leagues. You know, you have like a, a Jedi council, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they are, especially when you start out, you know, they're the people where you decide the rules, not only like scoring formats, how many teams, um, trade rules, trade deadlines, whether or not you're going to be having waivers or fab. And then, they vote on any disputes that happen. And also in, a, in very serious leagues, they would vote. They could vote on trades as well. A couple of things. I want to, I want to touch on the scoring in a little bit. Cause we did have a question about that in, uh, in the mailbag. Uh, you know, what's the best kind of scoring just to, to, for startup leagues. So we'll get to that in a minute. I would say what you just said, I would say yes and no. Yes to having a council. It obviously helps and it takes a lot of the the burden off of you where if something goes wrong, you're not the only guy. It's you, it's your number two, and then it's everybody else that's kind of underneath you that you've put in your sort of council, so to speak. But when you're, when you're doing, when you're in the process of creating said league, 
I don't agree that you rely it on a couple people. You need to bring everybody involved. So if you are in a 10-man league and you're in your group chat, whatever, you just created it, you incorporate everybody into it. Now, if people want to participate in that, that's on them. But if they're in the league, they should be participating in it. They should be able to tell you exactly what they want out of said league. And then just as a matter of coming to a consensus on it, you know, whether you're going to be in in standard scoring, non, uh, non-PPR, you know, PPR, um, whether you're going to be something even more eccentric than that. Maybe you do uh, two points per reception. Maybe you do, you know, whether it's six points per passing touchdown, four points passing touchdown. Uh, you do the, whether it's going to be every 10 yards is one point or 0.01 yards per one yard, you know, something, something crazy like that, which is what I do for my leagues. It's much more fun and get decimal scoring, which is always great. And, really kills the chances of ties which all, all four but you know I, I just think early on you have to get everybody involved that's the most important thing make everyone feel like that they are a part uh, that they are a part of creating this league and once you create it then all you have to do is commissioners just regulate everything that's really your job is you are so to speak your big brother you you are the guy that is just responsible for making sure everything that goes on underneath you is running smoothly. If there are no issues, if there are scoring dilemmas, you go and fix that. Things like that, and it, it, it's it's a tougher job than I think people really think, because you do get controversies every once in a while, and there's no coming out of that clean, unless it's just so blatantly obvious that there was something there, but very rarely does that happen. I can imagine. I mean, there, yeah. When you have that many people in a competitive scenario, something is always going to happen. Yes, yes. So something is always going to happen. So I want to touch on the scoring. Uh, okay. This comes. This comes from Jake. Ironically enough, not not our Jake, but a Jake. And Jake asks, "What is the most ideal way of scoring for a newfound fantasy league, non PPR or PPR?" <sighs> Do you want the real answer or the cop-out answer? I'm going to give him the real answer. The cop-out answer is whatever you think, whatever you're, whatever the members of the league want. That's the cop-out answer. The real answer is non-PPR. That's the standard way of getting in. It's the most boring, but it's the way of getting in. I think everyone, everyone starting out has really started on non-PPR, but then you know, unless you want to be thrown into the deep end, you want to be thrown into the deep end, you, you you go for PPR, and PPR is always much more fun. It is much more fun. I think but, that most people now play PPR. It's weird to play standard. Yeah, most people do. Most people do, but a lot of early startup leagues are non-PPR. A lot. Of, I still know a few that are, that are non. Maybe when we were kids, you know, when we yeah, were but- younger, it was like, oh, well, you know, this guy is only good in PPR. That league that those guys on the other side of the lunch table play. But now everybody plays PPR, really. Not necessarily because you have um, – I-, I know one league where it's non-PPR, but there's also tight end premium. So you, you'll you get uh, – twice as many points for your tight ends as you would. So that's what it's, it's, you have a push on tight ends early. Um, I know leagues where you're doing. Is that like Travis Kelsey first overall? Like that's correct. Correct. Kind of where you would have. um, You have double points for specific flex spots. That's not non it's non PPR. Uh, You have specific leagues that are just super bonus heavy with a award 0.5 for a hundred rushing yards, 0.5 for two plus touchdowns, all non PPR as well. So, but that's, that's a bit more advanced. So I would just say early on, the best way to go about it is just starting out at non PPR, unless you've, unless you're comfortable being thrown into the deep end and you want to go for PPR, then, you know, you, you go ahead and do that. But I think the most important thing, why do you think it's such a deep end? If, it, if it's so wide, widely spread and widely known, is it because you have to think about players differently? Yes. Yes. You, you do have to think of players differently. Values definitely differ. I mean, we talk about it on the show all the time where you're going to have someone like, let's say, uh, Austin Eckler 
Austin Eckler is more of a PPR machine than he is in standard. So, you know, maybe you're not, you're going to listen to this show because everything that we do on here, we we're talking about it from the lens of PPR in standard and non PPR. You're not going to be looking at Austin Eckler the same way. So it, it does come down to, you need to have an understanding of how player values are going to differ from non PPR to PPR. If you have the understanding, then yeah, go ahead and do, and do PPR. But for me, starting out year one, non-PPR is the way to go. Then maybe in year two, you start thinking about half-point PPR. And then in year three, if everyone is on board with the whole PPR thing, then you go to full point. Okay. But but I will I will say, I will say also, real men and women play, play full point PPR. Yeah. Well, PPR is fun. PPR is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's really, really fun. Um, another question that it might be on a mailbag. I don't know. Uh-huh. But what about like other formats where, you know, I kind of like joke about IDP a lot mm-hmm. because it's like not a lot of people play it. But like if you're interested in playing it, what do you have any advice? for? You said you played one yeah. in IDP league one year. Uh, don't play IDP until you know exactly what's going on. Okay. Because IDP is, uh, that's a different animal. That is that a stands completely for, different animal. It stands for individual defensive players, by the way. Correct. you didn't know that. Yes. And it is a completely different monster where you have, you know, you need to know all of your defensive stats, tackles, or, you know, basically the, the, the receptions for, uh, if you're in full point PPR tackles are really what stands out in IDP. I believe in the year, I don't even know who the number one player in in IDP is right now, but in years past, I know the number one player uh, in IDP has really been Bobby Wagner because of just how many freaking tackles that he has. Well, usually it's a linebacker. It's Darius Leonard this year. Darius Leonard. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's always been top five as well. So the top six, players in PPR or in IDP are linebackers. Mm-hmm. It's Darius Leonard, Devin White, Roquan Smith, Blake Martinez, Bobby Wagner, and Zach Cunningham. Okay. And then it's Buda Baker, Jamal Adams, who, I mean, Jamal Adams is a linebacker, but. Don't listen to Adam. <laughs> um, I do have a question on here. Uh, this comes from Sean and Sean asks, what is the best website to play on now this is the question that is a you want the real answer you want the cop-out answer (laughs) yeah it's actually kind of the same it depends it really depends on what you want out of your league if you want something that's a bit more basic espn nfl are the two spots if you want something that's a bit more cut and dry, Yahoo is that. If you want something that is a bit more extensive, a bit more league friendly, a bit more, I guess, flexible with league and individual player needs, CBS is, is the one. But then you also, you also have like um, – uh, you have you have like sleeper. I know I know FanDuel and, and DraftKings have their own individual lobbies as well. NFC well, they have does season, as well. They have season long. Yeah, they do. Okay. Yeah, they do. Um, NFC does as well, but those are like yeah, that's when you're getting to uncharted waters. There, I would say you stick to the core four. You stick to ESPN, NFL, Yahoo, or uh, CBS. Is the way is the way that I would go. I have all my leagues on ESPN just because I feel like it's the most it's the most basic. Um, I have done leagues on on CBS. I have no problem with CBS. I think their interface is great. Uh, I think their commissioner tools are fantastic. I I, I really love the feature that uh, CBS has. I'll just give you a quick example. And but I'm not tooting the horn of CBS here. If you want to sponsor us, CBS, then go ahead. You could do it. But um, one of the best things that CBS does have that I, I don't think anybody else does is it actually has the ability to control who can go on your IR. And what I mean by that is with 
ESPN, NFL, Yahoo. It really, it, you need guys to be like out, out with injuries for them to be able to be IR eligible. Whereas with CBS, you can make whoever you want eligible for your IR. So let's you say guys on players, suspended players, guys are on buys as well. You could very easily make them eligible for the IR where, you know, if you have three guys on a buy, you could just plug them all in your IR for a week and pick up guys that you could play for this week. Well, that's and, crazy. And that's it. Yeah. That, it's, that's pretty it's cool, great. actually. Yeah, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And I don't know anybody else that, that doesn't like that. So uh, fair play to that. But starting off, I would say ESPN and NFL are the most basic with the way that uh, that I would go. ESPN, I mean, everyone knows that ESPN has been doing it for forever. So, but I would say ESPN also, it, it, it's very limited in terms of what it can and what it can't do. Yeah, I mean, there it has issues, but I've only used ESPN really. So I can't really speak on any other uh, platform. But well, I mean, <laughs> and FantasyCast is known to crash week one every year on ESPN. It happens all the time. That's true. FantasyCast Fantasy is a bit weird. Well, they be, used to have it can be wonky. They, yeah, they, they used to have an individual window where it was like you would open it and it would be all the games right there and it would just be everything that's happening, but it wouldn't be, you know, you don't have to go from like new tab, new tab, new tab, new tab to look oh, they, at all the games. They used to no, they still have that. You can have there's still like an option for it. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure. I think I did it last year where you can, it like, maybe, I mean, it's a new window, but I don't know if it shows you. So like it shows you your team and it shows you all the other teams and you can just click. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but you can also, uh, I think you can also um, click on the other games, the actual NFL games that are happening, you can click ah, through those. See, that's that's where it differs. We're not talking about the same thing. It, oh. used, it used to be where you would have all the games would be in one place. So you could see who has who in each game and all the scores would be right there. All your players would be right there. Points would be added up right there. It was fantastic. Well, it does yeah. that, but it's in the, but it's not the same. It's, it's in the same window. Yeah, it's in the same window, but it, it it's just infinitely worse now. Yeah, it's a bit weird because you have to infinitely scroll worse. down. It sucks. Yeah, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. But that's uh, that's another discussion for another day, unfortunately. <laughs> um, another question I think that I have that's kind of like a making of, like, what? How do you decide about money? Oh, it's a very good question. That's a very very good question. You you just have to ask. It, honestly, you have to ask what people are okay with really forking in. You know, I think I, I think really for a startup league, I would think 25, 30 is a good number. I think that's an okay number. And then, you know, if people are really committed to it and, and you know, they, they like what they're getting out of it and you, then you raise it, like I know – my keeper league has been 35 bucks for forever. And now that I know that I have a consistent group, I know that I'm not, you know, booting anybody or anything like that. Now we're raising it to 50. So, you know, there's more of a cash incentive there for people to, to play with. Now, obviously, you know, you need to be able to afford it as well. Yes. You, know, you need to have, need to have a means of being able to afford what you're paying to, to play. So, I would always recommend, you know, 20, 25 bucks is, is an easy way of doing it. Or, or what I also would recommend, which is a lot more fun is, and it's, it's also cheaper too, is if you get, say you have a 10 man league, get everyone to collect, to put in 15 bucks and you buy a championship belt or a trophy or something like that. And that's what you pay for instead of, instead of chipping in 15, 20 bucks every year. If you just want to play for the trophy, you play for the trophy. That's another way to do it. That is another way to do it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's, it say it saves everyone, everyone money. Would a strategy be like, just to get people, you know, like 
I won't charge you anything year one, but if you really like it, then I'll charge people year two. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a strategy is just getting people to try it. Getting people to try it with no risk. But what also hurts also is if their team sucks, they can say, oh yeah, my team's awful. I'm kind of done with this. And you have a ghost team. Well, I mean, in redraft, in redraft, it's, yeah, you just need to find another person. Yeah, but for, for but say they're zero and four after four weeks, and they go to week five, and they say, "Oh, well, oh, this." They, oh, you mean like if they leave mid-season? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's different. Yeah, that's that's always the problem that I have with team with leagues that are not for money. Is the pathway to people leaving is a lot greater just because, you know, there's no risk. There's no risk. Your team sucks. You fail, and that's that. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. You gotta it's know not your fun, room, I guess. No, of course it's not. It's not fun, and it puts the commissioner in a bad spot too because then they have to, they have to go and perhaps make decisions on lineups and things like that. They have their own team to worry about. They shouldn't have to worry about this ghost team that – you know, if they're fielding an invalid lineup, you know, shit out of luck sort of thing. And then, you know, basically makes it so the, the people that are playing the ghost team get like free wins every week. Right. It ruins, it ruins the integrity of the league is what it does. Is really what it does. Um, the other question that we had from the mailbag, this comes from Justin. Justin asks, can you guys explain what the difference is again between waivers and fab and what is the best way to go about it for a second year league? So basically the difference is with waivers, you put your claims in, it goes inverse of league standings. So whoever's in last place for the league will have first crack at waivers and whoever's in first place is last up on the list. And you put your claims in every week and waivers will run And, you know, if you get your players, great. If you don't get your players, then, you know, you can make your free claims, uh, your free ads, excuse me, uh, in the morning. On on Wednesday mornings is usually when uh, your waivers usually run. Whereas I know for CBS sometimes, CBS leagues, I think, are Thursday and everybody else is Wednesday. But besides the point. That's weird. Why Thursday? It it makes sense because you could, you know, you have your – you have your claims done and, you know, you wake up Thursday morning, you set your lineup for the week and, you know, that's kind of that and you're done. So I, I kind of understand it, but, you know, if there's a, a grace period for anybody that's playing on Thursday night football, then, yeah, it, it definitely kind of sucks. Whereas, you know, Wednesdays, anybody who could drop for Thursday, they can easily be claimed Thursday morning and, and that's that. But with fab and – Gosh, do I love Fab. Fab, you start off with X amount. Usually it's around 150, 200 virtual dollars. Virtual dollars, need to point that out. Virtual dollars. Because I had someone I had someone come to me and ask, so with Fab, is it 200 actual dollars? No, it is virtual currency. Can you imagine? I know leagues that do do it like that. That's fucked up. I know leagues that do do it like that, where the league fees are f- you, you're in for free, but you have t- everyone has two hundred dollars to play with with Fab, and whatever you spend goes toward the pot in terms of winnings. That so, is some like Thunderdome, like game show sounding shit. It's wild. So if you have ten people in that league the pot could potentially be as great as $2,000. Wow. It's nuts. And you're not, there's no buy-in. So really, if you want to spend $1 to play in the league, you can spend $1. But if you want to spend all of your 200, you could spend all of your 200. But you have to spend $200, 200 actual real dollars. If you want to. If you want to. It's all up to you. Yes. It is all up to you. If you want to spend $10, you could spend $10. It depends on what your price is. Well, that definitely changes how you 
think about your claims also. Yeah, and, and it's also a keeper league, which makes it, you know, which protects the integrity of the league because you're not really afraid if anybody's going to drop out because it's a, it's a long-term league. Yes. So back to FAB. Back to FAB. You have 150 200 virtual dollars that when you're setting your claims on Tuesday or Wednesday night, whenever your waiver day is, you are putting a virtual amount to go get said players. And it comes down to how much you want those guys. It, you're putting a numerical value on players that you want for your team. So there is no advantage. Well, I really shouldn't say no no advantage because there is an advantage. If someone has 200 bucks of fab and you have 10, obviously, you know, you're kind of fighting an the uphill battle there. Advantage is purely economic. It, yes, exactly. But at least to start, you know, after week one and your first waivers of the year, which is very popular for a lot of people, that's when it's just open season. You know, if, if there's a guy who pops off week one and you want to spend 50 bucks on him because you don't have an RB2, you go and you spend 50 bucks for that running back because you value him more than anybody else does. And if that you win that, you get it. If you don't, then you're shit out of luck. But the most important thing, and I, I stress this all the time, the most important strategy when it comes to waivers, it's not about putting in super bids or praying that you get the guys that you want. Obviously you're going to go ahead and do that. Sure. But the most important thing with waivers is being mindful of who is dropped. That is the most important part right there because people can drop guys that may have value to you, especially after week one. That's where I see it more than any other place is guys get dropped after week one because they have an absolutely terrible week one game. They get dropped because Joe Blow says, ah, shit, I didn't, he didn't do anything for me. I picked him the ninth round, not worth my time, or maybe greater than that, maybe worse than that. I don't know. But if you see someone that you like, maybe you targeted that guy at the draft. Maybe let's say that guy is. LaVisca Chanel, let's just say. LaVisca Chanel, you targeted him at the draft. You didn't get him. Week one, he goes, he has two catches for 32 yards. Joe Blow drops him. Now you have an opportunity because you didn't get the wide receiver that you wanted off of waivers. You don't have the opportunity because Joe Blow got that wide receiver, but dropped LaVisca Chanel to get him. You can now put in a bid to get LaVisca Chanel. And bam. You wanted that. You wanted Lavisca Chenault in the draft. You now have the opportunity to get him for essentially nothing, unless you just blow the bid out of the water, which I never recommend doing. By the way, yes. Well, the thing about Fab that's interesting. It's like the way that I see it is like you're you're in an auction that's one round, and you don't know who you're bidding against and what they're bidding. So basically, you have to it you have to put in like a blind bid and hope that and hope for the best. It's exactly what it is. It's yep. a blind auction. It is a blind auction. It is a completely blind auction. Unless, unless, well, I really shouldn't say, I wouldn't really shouldn't say unless. Well, there are instances that I know of where, you know, once a week, there is a, there's a league that I know where I'm trying to think of exactly how they do it, but they run fab normally. But then after the fact, they have – it's basically like a compensatory draft is the way that they do it. It's actually kind of cool Okay. where they all – or whoever wants to be there is at this compensatory draft at 12 o'clock. And they have first refusal to bid on players. It's, it's very cool. That is interesting. So, like, let's say, let's just go back to the LaVisca Chenault example. LaVisca Chenault gets dropped in this league. 12 o'clock Thursday. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, there is some breaking news. Uh, this actually fits in quite nicely with the show that we're about to do. Oh, God. What, do, what the fuck just happened? 
The Minnesota Wild have bought out Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter. Wait, they bought out both of them. Both of them. Uh, they're fucked. <laughs> yeah. They are going to be paid $6.7 million over the next eight years. Both of them. I got Steve Dangles. Now we're cooking with friggin' oil in all caps is what he said. Yeah. Exactly. Which, mean, which might mean that, oh my God. Yeah. Exactly. But let's go back to the Livis example. So you get to 12 o'clock on Thursday after he's dropped. The commissioner will say, okay, the compensatory draft is open. Uh, I'm starting, we're starting the bidding now on Levis Cushenault. Someone could answer and say $1. If nobody else answers over the course of, say, 15, 20 minutes, the guy who put in a $1 bid for Levis Cushenault wins Chenault. Hmm. And he has, and he has refusal to go into the league page, put in a $1 bid for LaVisca Chenault, and is guaranteed to get him the next day. Well, that's interesting. It's very interesting, and it's very fun. I do like uh, it, but the problem is, is that people have lives. So it, it's just kind of like... Be, you have to be pretty committed to do something like that. Very, very committed and very, very available at that time to be able to just drop what you're doing at 12 o'clock on a Thursday to participate in a compensatory fantasy draft. And this is live too. Yeah, it's live. Yeah. It's very much live. Which it's is a bit of a lot. Yeah, which which is why I, I always say, you know, if you're gonna do something like that, even like the biggest one, and we haven't even talked about this one yet, is doing a slow draft. With slow drafts, I always say your best bet is to start as early as you possibly can and give everyone as much possible time. Hold up. Do what they want to do. What's yeah. a slow explain? What's a slow draft? So it's slow, so a slow draft, it's normally done in dynasty, not really in in redraft, sometimes in keeper. But basically what happens is everyone has a set amount of time to make a selection, but it is a longer period of time. So sometimes what will happen is owners will have the opportunity to take a day to make their picks and it ensures that, you know, everyone is involved in the process early on. It takes a little bit longer, but you're starting early enough. And over time, the draft is slowly completed. Hence a slow draft. Slow drafts are awful. They that sounds are terrible. Absolutely terrible. Why do people do them? Um, because people are impatient. You mean, but why would you do a slow draft if you're impatient? Because people want to draft right away. Yeah. People want to draft right away. So now sometimes people will do them for the dynasty leagues. So sometimes what they'll do is, is there'll be uh, rookie drafts that are slow drafts. So say everyone gets six hours to make, to make a pick for their rookie draft. Sometimes they do that. I, I've seen it done. And it's, it's, it's successful, but successful it's not as fun. Is, I guess it's one way to put it. I don't know. Yeah, it's don't not as I fun. I really be interested in doing anything like that. No, they're not my cup of tea either. I like, I like the, the adrenaline rush of being in a live draft and in making every pick in a minute, 45 seconds. I, I like that little feeling. I'm impatient in the other sense where I, I will not be waiting if I'm the pick after the guy that takes the full six hours, I'm going to be like knocking on his door saying, will you fucking make the pick? We all know you're going to take Dalvin cook. Just take him. Yeah. Well, sometimes life gets in the way and you know, and you say you're out on a uh, wine excursion and you know, you come back and you have an hour to make your pick. You sit down for that last hour, you make your pick and you're done. It happens. Yeah, that's one of those. I, I just don't see the appeal. No, believe me, there is no appeal. I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and defend slow drafts. I, that's not my business. Slow drafts suck. They absolutely suck. Um, well, I guess on that subject, what about the uh, like one of the other 
important things that a commissioner does, and probably one of the hardest things that a commissioner does is trying to organize a draft, a day, pick a day. Adam, I can tell you right now that is the hardest thing to do as commissioner. The absolute hardest thing to do is getting everyone together at the same time to do a fucking draft. It is the hardest thing to do. Which is probably why we should talk about it. Yes. Um, I always say to people, you're better off getting everyone in the same boat months in advance, which is what I did for every single one of my leagues. I set draft order dates back in March. I told everyone, hey, we are drafting this day, this time. Clear your schedule. Fucking be there. Best bets, do them on a Friday or Saturday or a Sunday. So that way there's no conflict in the middle of the week unless you're doing it in, at night. You're doing it like 8, 8, 8.30 where, you know, school or work or anything, you know, really is, is, is a big issue, you know. Um. But yeah, organizing drafts is the most difficult thing to do in the world. And always, 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 when you're checking your draft settings and the kind of draft you want to do, snake drafts. That's the way you want to go. And snake drafts, very simple. Number one pick has his pick. You go all the way to, to 10 or 12, however big your league are. Let's just say it's 10. Number 10 is the last pick in the first round. Then it drops down right there. And the team that picked 10 in the first round now has the first pick in the second round. It goes all the way back to the team that had the first pick. Now is the last pick in the second round. He makes that pick, drops down. He now gets the pick in the third round, so on and so forth. Um, we've also had a question, and uh, this is, I think, the last question that I had from the mailbag that was league construction related. And this comes from Dale. And Dale asks... What is your ideal roster size for fantasy leagues? Um, That's a good question. There's no right answer to this either. I always recommend you start off simple. So normally the ideal, the ideal roster size and position limits and things like that, you have one quarterback able to have three on the roster. You're starting two running backs, you're able to have seven or eight. Wide receiver, you're starting two, able to have seven or eight. Tight ends, you're starting one, able to have three. The flex spot, which a flex, for those that don't know, is you can start anybody that you want that's not a quarterback at that flex position. Now, there are such leagues like super flex and two quarterback where you are allowed to start a quarterback at the position, but... Well, Superflex is basically a two-quarterback league. Correct. At that point. Bingo. Exactly. But for the sake of redraft, we're not getting into that. But there are such leagues where you can do it. They're not as fun. Trust me. Uh, but Flex, you know, you can start a running back, receiver, or tight end, an extra one at that spot without penalty. Then you have a defense, which you can have two on your roster at one time. Always have one, please God. And then a kicker where you can have two on your roster at one time, please only have one. Then you get to the bench spots. That's nine. Is that nine? Let me think. One, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yes. Nine guys in your starting lineup. Then ideally for your bench spot, I always like to say, you know, you have seven bench spots. So 16 total rounds in the draft. And that's where you you construct your team. However, however you would like now, Part of Dale's question also, he did write a PS on this. Okay. And he said, you guys talk about three receiver a lot. What's the difference between three receiver and two receiver? Now, three receiver, basically all it is is you're just adding emphasis on the receivers. Because if you if you look at um, a lot of mock draft data, if you look at a lot of um, pre-draft rankings, things like that, you're going to see running backs are, have an emphasis. There is a major, major emphasis on running backs which is normally how they are because these kind of rankings are constructed on two receiver drafts. When you add the third receiver to it, what it does is it basically cancels out the importance that the running backs have. So imagine, you know, you're looking at a tier rank right now. Running back is going to be the most important position in fantasy. Receiver is, is second. 
Then you have tight end quarterback, everything else down below. So really you're looking to build your team around running backs and receivers, as we've talked about in this podcast a lot. What the three receiver setup does is with how important the running backs are, it narrows the gap between the running backs and the receivers to kind of get them on an even playing field because you have to start more. So you're not going to necessarily see the first 10 picks of a draft like we've seen on NFC a couple of times when we've gone through and looked at data. We're not going to see 10 running backs be taken in the first 10 picks. It still could happen for sure, but you're going to shallow the running back classes. Correct. But you're not, there's a better chance that you won't see it with three receivers because you're going to need to start three receivers every single week. So it's important to have three good receivers as it is to have two good running backs. So it just adds more of a challenge to the overall team building team construction process. That's all. That's the only, that's the major difference really. Plus I think if you have full point PPR and three receivers, I think it kind of puts receivers over the top as a more important position in that format. That's correct. And it's incorrect. It's correct in yes, they do have much more of an important value where you're starting three, it's full point PPR. They're more likely to catch the ball more likely to get those big PPR points. So yes, obviously they are boosted there. It's incorrect in running backs still are the backbone of any team. Because I know in one league that I was in last year, we had a championship where it went the two running backs the champ that the that one team had were it was Derrick Henry that he kept and it was I believe it was Antonio Gibson or Jonathan Taylor. I forget who it was, but he didn't have much at receiver. Then it was the other team had didn't have much at running back, but his receivers were Tyree Kill. Devontae Adams, and I think it was, I think it was, oh God, was it A.J. Brown? It might have been. It might have been. Something something like that. But the receivers obviously took the cake because he had the, he had the better receivers there. So, you know, really, it just, it just presents a different roster construction challenge. That's really the only difference. And it just levels the gap, like I said, between – uh, the running backs and the receivers, because in two and two, the running backs just have a much more significant importance than they do in two and three. Well, you want to know the running backs of the team that won in our league? Yeah. Uh, Delvin Cook, DeAndre Swift, Miles Gaskin, Mike Davis, and Darrell Henderson. Who are the uh, receivers? Metcalf, Robbie Anderson, Emmanuel Sanders, Julio Jones, Sterling Shepard, and Antonio Brown. That's the complete antithesis antithesis to what I just said. I think the reason that this person won is because of Dalvin Cook. His week 16. Oh. Oh, right. It was Kamara. No, my bad. I was oh, thinking he, of he, something else. No, he, he didn't have Kamara. He didn't have Kamara. But I was conf- I confused the two. Oh, okay. I, I thought Dalvin Cook had Alvin Kamara's. I see. I see. So he got lucky then. Yeah, well, the guy that he okay. was playing, the person, or the the person that he was playing, um, had Tom Brady, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, Adam Thielen, Marvin Jones, Nelson Aguilar, Gronk, Ogie, the Colts D. Ogie, what a guy! Ogie had nine point two points. King, that week, uh, Justin Tucker. James Conner, Terry McLaurin, A.J. Green, Chase Claypool, Mike Kosicki, the Vikings D, and Salvin Ahmed. Okay. Hey, it kind of just disproves what I just said, but all right. <laughs> we Yeah, well, I mean, we're in a three-receiver league, and it kind it's of ca- – It's a case-by-case basis, but odds are, from anything, what I've it, seen in the past, the receivers definitely have the edge over the running backs. If anything, it just disproves what I said because – you know, both of these teams had top-notch PPR running backs. And really not a lot of them. And they only had one, like, number one really, really, really good receiver. Yeah. But the really, really good receiver, odds are, was the backbone that really helped carry the yeah. way. 
and they had two pretty solid quarterbacks. That helps. Well, I hope that answered a lot of questions. And if you do have more questions on uh, league construction, definitely send those questions in. I left all the uh, all my links are in the uh, in the bio for the podcast, so you know where to where to send the questions. Just go on to uh, just click any podcast episode that you can find, and all the links are right there. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Basin Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. You can find all episodes of not only the Fantasy Show, but everything under the Basin Talk Podcast umbrella, wherever you get your podcasts. For my co-host, Ed Burrosal, I am Adam Castor, and we will talk to you next time on the Basin Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. Bye-bye.